Are you in a band or a person in the events industry? Do you need top-of-the-line front-of-house audio? Or just an extra hand setting up your concert, school function, or event? Harmon Shoulders AV Tech provides front-of-house live audio, monitor engineering, small rentals, stagehand services, and more. Visit CarmenShouldersAVTech.com today for a quote or for more information. Carmen Shoulders AV Tech. Great sound, hard work, any budget. Hello, boils and ghouls, creeps and kiddies. It's your old pal, the Cryptkeeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast. Part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. And hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of the Trick or Treater Podcast. I am your host Kyle and I'm joined by my co-host Maria and JR. How's everyone doing today? Doing good. Looking forward to this movie. I know you are. I'm so excited because we're recording at a 1:38 Pacific Standard Time, September 20th on a Sunday, and my Rams just won by like fucking 18 points. So, I love football season. I'm not huge in the NFL, but like when I do watch it, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. Um, I just go whatever team entertains me. I'm very easy when yeah. it comes to uh, football, even sometimes baseball. Like if you put on a yeah. good show, then I'm all for it. But hold, yeah, hold I, I still don't like the Dodgers though. Maria, that's not fair. You can't do that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. No, Kyle, Kyle has an excuse because he doesn't have a, full, a professional football team in the state. You have the Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah. yeah. You want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like uh, I'm not a huge NFL fan, but like uh, I do love college football. Of course, I, I root for Alabama. Roll Tide. That's right. Uh, I can't. I can't do it. I, you know what? I won't even be mean to the Bears because they have given me multiple things for my library. So thank you, Chicago Bears. <laughs> <laughs> well, they uh, won today. They're two and zero. Oh. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. I still can't get invested in that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I still. Re- yeah. I still remember the, the. I still remember the Super Bowl, man. I still remember it. It still hurts. Yeah, I, was, like it was, yesterday. I was so sure they were going to win the Super Bowl. I was like, they're going to beat Peyton Manning the Colts. Like, I was, I had money on that game. I was only like six, 16 years of age. I remember Devin Hester returns a like, kickoff for a touchdown to kickstart the Super Bowl. I was like, oh, they're going to have a chance. And I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I, I digress. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, horror movies, not professional NFL. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, today we're going to be talking about Stephen King's It. Not the movies. We're talking about the 1990 TV miniseries, and I know Maria is very excited to talk about it. Yes, it's one of my favorite books. I enjoyed the miniseries. I I I liked just the, the two movies. The two movies were good, um, but it's just I like the concept. And if you haven't read the book, there's so much you miss out on the lore of Pennywise and how big it is in the Stephen King universe. So yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. I thought the movies had just perfect casting. I really don't have many gripes with the movie. The only gripe I really have with the movie 
is that uh, it seems that Mike didn't have as big of a role as he did in the, in the TV series in the book that he did in the movies. Cause like in the movies, especially chapter one, he just kind of shows up and it, it, he's not like a huge part of the group. Like he was in the TV series and the book. Yeah. They definitely downplayed the importance of his character a lot in the movies. And they made him like almost slightly like, uh, you know, crazy. He was that yeah. guy, you know, and he wasn't like that in the book. Like he was legitimate. Like they say one part in the movie, the lighthouse. And he was, he was the foundation and the core of the group. But what made the group so important uh, was Mike. Guy, you have no idea how pissed I was when that movie came out. And I knew the guy, like, I'm like, he looks like he got the shakes in the movie. And I'm just like, oh no, please don't tell me they made him crazy. Then I read the synopsis and I'm like, oh God, alcoholic, like down on his luck. And I'm like, ah, you did this to Mike? Bad enough, he's like the only like minority in the cast. I just, I was not appreciating that at all. Yeah. I don't really have any news things to talk about today. I could, really couldn't find anything too interesting to talk about that's came out recently. So uh, before we get into it, I've got a couple of uh, interesting facts around the TV series. George Romero was the original director of the TV series. He even worked on it for a year and wrote scripts for each of the uh, episodes. Like originally it was going to be a 10 episode uh, series. And then once ABC started stepping in and cutting the length of the show, and demanding that episodes be cut down, he actually uh, stepped away. Dang. I actually would have preferred it. I mean, I know it was a little long. If you, if you sit through it like a movie, it's kind of long. But at the time yeah. period, um, I like I keep telling you guys, uh, we've talked about this in our chat, that I would have preferred that the movies that were made now would have been like a miniseries. Because I could totally see a vision of like 10 episodes, which is what they did for like The Outsider, Stephen King's The Outsider. Um, it would have been brilliant. And they would have talked a lot more on just what it is, like Pennywise, how bad he is in Derry. And I think it would have really made the story more in-depth. For what they, for what it's worth, the miniseries is amazing. You feel for all the characters, all the kids, and all the adults. So the director they did choose did a good job in that. Yeah, I think George Romero probably would have done a way better job in this, especially if he would have been able to actually do the 10 episodes instead of just uh, them cutting it down from – because it went down from – it was originally supposed to be 10, then they cut it to 8, then 6, and then they ultimately just decided on doing a two-part series. Yeah. I, I mean, I, even the movies that came out, they felt very rushed. Yeah. Man, I would have loved to see his vision. It probably oh, would have been so much more gruesome. Oh, me too. <laughs> Here's another thing. Even though it's called Stephen King's It, and you know he wrote the book, do you know he wasn't involved with the miniseries? He gave the blessing for them to do it, but since he had no contractual say in how it was made, he declined to have any further involvement. Yeah, well, he's gone on record now um, after, uh, what's his name? I think Andy something, the one that did the movies. Uh, he went on record saying he did enjoy the miniseries, but he was very happy to be invited into the movies <laughs> as far as the, the ideas and the construction and just kind of like uh, giving his blessings, as you would say, for the movie. In my opinion, looking back at a lot of the older movies like Salem's Lot and things that were made into, I think Salem's Lot was like a part miniseries too or a two-part series. Um, this was pretty much one of the better versions of a Stephen King book. Um, if you don't compare like The Shining and stuff like that and Carrie, like the movies. But as a series, I think at the time, this was actually done still pretty well. Pennywise's look, his makeup and everything, it was inspired by 1925's Phantom of the Opera. That's really cool. In the series, there's a part where 
Pennywise has to recruit one of the former bullies, Henry Bowers, to attack the Losers Club, and he has to break them out of an insane asylum. And he's being watched by a guard named Koontz. Mm-hmm. And that's a jab at Dean Koontz. <sighs> Dean Koontz and uh, what's that other dude? Uh, Pattinson? Yeah. Oh, my God. And there's, like, Noah Roberts. There's just, like, serial writers that just, like, they don't know when to stop. And even, like, Patterson now, he has, like, ghost writers. He doesn't even write half his books. He, like, manufactures his books together, and it bothers the hell out of me. There's a part where after he, like, breaks them out, uh, Bowers says uh, Kuntz is the worst, and it was a a jab at Kuntz. (laughs) (laughs) I hate him so much. (laughs) I thought that was funny. I didn't know this one. The It miniseries was released in 1990. That was the same year Bill Skarsgård was born. 27 years later, he plays Pennywise in It Chapter 1. Shut up. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I mean, he played really good. What was that? that uh, Hemlock Grove? Uh, that, show, yeah. that show was pretty decent with him. He's, he's yeah. a pretty good method actor. And if you guys haven't seen Castle Rock, the TV series that Stephen King has, it's loosely based off his characters. He's insanely crazy in that one, too. Yeah. So even though Tim Curry was Pennywise, they wasn't sure if he was going to accept the role. There was actually some other candidates, Proddy McDowell, who, uh, if you've seen Fright Night Part 2, you'll know him. Malcolm McDowell was considered for Pennywise. And this one's funny. Alice Cooper was also considered. <laughs> I like Alice Cooper, but what? With Tim Curry playing Pennywise, he actually nabbed the role of the Joker in the Batman animated series before Mark Hamill. But the producers said his voice was too scary for a kid's show, so they replaced him with Mark Hamill. And then they later cast Tim Curry and uh, Fern Gully. He played the yeah. smog, yeah, which was like totally creepy. <laughs> that movie was that seriously, that movie was actually pretty scary. Actually thinking about it, but his voice was perfect for it. Thought the uh, the uh, twenty seven year one with Bill Skarsgård that was insane. How that worked out. That is pretty insane. How it kind of like yeah, that's just weird. I, I like the fact that he's using Skarsgårds now because you know what was it the stand. His brother yeah. is going to be in the stand now. Yeah. So I'm just like, now you got one of those like Tim Burton, Johnny Depp things where you start to like collect your, <laughs> your actors and put them in like a bubble. You're like, I like these people. I'm just going to yeah. keep them. Keep <laughs> using them. So I think Jack is on now. I think. Oh, it does. So today, besides me and JR and Maria, we have a special guest. Jack, Maria's husband, is going to be joining us for this discussion. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, Jack? <laughs> I'm okay. I was just listening to some of the uh, facts, and I wanted to throw in a fact that I don't know if you guys mentioned. Um, The area where this was actually filmed was around Stanley Park in Beaver Lake. Stanley Park is also could be used um, to relate to the Shinings Hotel, which was Stanley Hotel. And Stephen King, the reason why he kind of didn't like getting involved too much with filming was because of uh, Stanley Kubrick and everything he did and how he put jabs at um, Stephen King. So it's a kind of little connection there. Oh, wow. (laughs) So real quick, I was doing some research. Between the two days that the four-hour epic film was filmed over, uh, or shown over on ABC, two hours, you know, two hours each day, they had over 37 million total viewers. Damn. Which, I mean, to put that into context, it's about a third of the Super Bowl. How many people watch Super Bowl? You know, it's about 100 million. So a third of the people who watch Super Bowl at the time had watched this film. 
um, which is pretty, you know, that's that's really good when you really think about how many people actually watch this because at the time, you know, when you look at some of the TV shows, whether it was like Cheers or stuff like that, you probably had some in the vicinity of like 10 or 15 million people were watching. And so for this to get as many as 37 million over two days, in my opinion, it was a very good rating. Oh, yeah. The other thing, back in 1990, 73.85 million people watched Super Bowl. So half, so about roughly half the amount of people who watched Super Bowl watched it at the, in 1990. So that's pretty cool. And then the budget for this miniseries or you know two shows was 12 million dollars in 1990 money, which today is a, a right around a little less than 24 million. It's almost double due to inflation. So $12 million, 1999 money to film it. And the other thing was that the director, you know, when he looks at uh, Pennywise and the job that Tim Curry did, he said to him it was very reminiscent of a spontaneous Robin Williams doing improv on stage. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was just like, yeah, if you ever heard Robin Williams, you know, we look at some of the, the wisecracking, malevolent jokes that Tim Curry gave us Pennywise, it, in some ways it was kind of reminiscent to... Uh, the slapstick humor of Robin Williams when he did uh, when he was doing his stand-up. Yep. Okay, guys, are you guys ready to talk about the three-hour and seven-minute movie? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you guys anyway? We're sort of a club. Yeah, the losers' club. Want in? Yeah, I do. Hey, we're seven now. Lucky seven. It kills kids, damn it. You killed my brother George, you bastard. Let's see you now. Maybe it's the water. The water? Maybe it's the sewer. Georgie. <laughs> I won't make it too long, okay? So I do want to break down some parts of the movie because I wanted to hint on the differences between like the book and maybe even just like, we'll just mention if we want a comment or two about the newer movies that came out. But yeah, let's get into it. So the movie starts out with a little girl. Her name's Lorianne. She's riding a tricycle in front of her house. Um, her mom leaves to tell her to go inside the house. It's starting to rain. As the girl actually starts to get off her little tricycle that she's riding, she hears a clown laughing, and she sees Pennywise the clown behind some sheets that are out to dry. Within a few seconds later, we see her mom come out. We see the tricycle down. Her mom looks to the side, and she starts to scream, Lorianne has been killed by Pennywise. From there, we see Mike Hanlon. He's talking to cops, and we know from that point on that six kids have been going missing, and some have been found mutilated. He thinks it's it that came back. He knows to himself that he, this powerful being has already returned, and what basically determines that is that he sees a picture of a boy by a tree who ends up being Georgie. So the cool thing about this story is that it, it's being narrated by Mike Hanlon during, like, during most of the in-between scenes and in the breaks between the miniseries. So the miniseries starts off with him, it ends with him, and then the second part, same thing, he narrates the movie. So as he the movie starts to progress, you actually hear him calling each 
of the losers clubs to tell him that, you know, it has returned. So he starts off with Bill. Uh, we basically see Bill working on a computer, well, typewriter, sorry. <laughs> I dated the movie too quickly. He's working on a, he's working on a typewriter. Um, he's actually a screenplay writer. He grew up to write um, books, but he's working on a movie that his wife, Audra, is involved with. He actually gets a phone call during dinner, and it's Mike telling him that it has returned. We see a flashback memory of him as he's listening to Mike on the phone of him talking to a group of kids. And he basically says, you know, is it back? He says, yes, he found a picture of Georgie. And this is where Bill hangs up the phone. And he's actually just startled. So he begins to stutter at this point. So it's implied that maybe this far into his life, I would say he hasn't stuttered, which is kind of like a cool thing about the story, um, that all these kids, all the kids that grew up in Derry that moved out forgot their past and we'll start to see more of that as the story progresses but he actually didn't stutter either when when he left from Derry, Maine. So then uh, we go to a flashback. It's Bill, little Bill and with his little brother Georgie. He's sick in bed. He's building a, a Georgie a paper boat. He's going to seal it and let him go outside and play with it by the water because it's raining and it's a perfect day to sail a boat. He tells his brother to be careful before he leaves, not knowing that would be the last time he sees his brother alive. How did everybody like Georgie's death scene in the miniseries versus the movies? If you look at this film in context of 1990, the guidelines and what was allowed, especially on over-the-air television, was a lot more strict than what we see today. Oh, so yeah. this film has, I mean, you can't even compare it to the new movies that came out. I think yeah. the way that they done a lot of these scenes was kind of creative because you couldn't just show gore. It should have been like on HBO or Showtime, not on ABC. Knowing that, you know, those type of restrictions and guidelines they have to abide by for ABC, I thought it was, you know, kind of creative. I remember like seeing this when they cut away. And then when I watched the movies, I was expecting them to cut away. And then uh, they didn't. And I was like, whoa, they went there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what me and my mom said. Like, oh, my God. Like, it was like the one thing. It's like it's sad to say, but like this is like, like I said, you guys know, it's one of my favorite books. Um, But to see that being portrayed because it is gruesome. In the book, like everything that happens in the miniseries and even like in the new movies, they barely touch on the gruesomeness of how this guy attacks people, you know. Yeah. And so like the way they portrayed the way he's like dragging half an arm across, you know, the asphalt, the concrete and screaming for Bill. It was heartbreaking. And in this one and the miniseries, there's a part as well, I'll get back into it. So the boat gets taken by, you know, the current. It gets whipped into a drain and Georgie, he reaches in there and you're already kind of like, don't reach in there. Cause it's one of those unknown things. And all of a sudden, as he walk, turns to walk away, walk, walk away, he hears a voice and it's Pennywise. And, you know, he's telling him, you know, there's kind candy and all these things. And he's saying that, I'm sorry, I, you know, I don't know who you are. So he introduces himself. And at this time in the 60s, Stranger Danger had a campaign. So the fact that he introduces himself as Pennywise and that he's Georgie and now they know each other, it was like a whole play on the fact that parents are telling them stranger danger, don't go with strangers. And this asshole is like, well, now you know me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so and then it gets it's sad because, you know, it gets into the one of the most um, memorable lines of this, you know, the movie where Georgie says, you know, do they float down there, the balloons? And then Pennywise says, oh, yes, Georgie, they float. And when you're down here. You'll float too. And then he proceeds to yank off Georgie's arm, but you don't see it. 
You just see his teeth turn into razor sharp. And yeah, Georgie's Georgie's gone. Then we cut into a funeral procession with Bill's family. Of course, all his friends there that we later get to introduce to. Then we go to Bill's house uh, where he's in Georgie's room looking at a photo album. He stops on a picture of Georgie, which is actually the same one that Mike finds in the beginning of the series. And all of a sudden, this photo of Georgie blinks at him. The photo pages start going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He all of a sudden drops it and blood starts to start up. What is cool about this is that it's the first time we see that the when he call, when he screams and his parents come in the room, that the parents and adults don't see what's going on around them because they don't see the blood. They touch the book. They're touching the blood and Bill's freaking out, but they see nothing. The gripe I have with that scene, that blood looked awful. It looked just like paint. <laughs> it was like the watered-down ketchup you get at the top of the bottle. Yeah, yeah, it, it looked <laughs> terrible. I, I, I feel like they could have spent a little bit bigger budget to do realistic-looking blood. <laughs> but honestly, I love this movie so much because Jonathan Brandis is such a huge part of like movies growing up for me. And like, yeah. it was so good in this damn movie. Like, he seriously is one of the most captivating kids in this whole, like, I mean, all the kids are great, but, like, we'll we'll get into it. But, like, Jonathan is such a, uh, well, he was such an amazing actor. And, like, I'm really glad for the parts that we have, especially, like, Never Ending Story and things like that. But, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, can I, uh, uh, sure. I was going to say, like, um, originally in the book, th- this is actually the first scene we see is um, Georgie getting his arm uh, ripped off from Pennywise. Um, in, in the miniseries, they went with the uh, with the little girl getting killed, so that was yeah. like a big change. And then also Bill in the in the book, he's bald, kind of not the best looking guy, kind of uh, grumpy. Um, so kind of feels like a uh, representation of uh, Stephen King himself. Uh, for for people that might not know, at this time Stephen King was uh, alcoholic and struggling with the coke addiction when he wrote this book. Yeah. So so he had a lot of uh, internal demons of how he saw himself. And um, the, the going off on, on what uh, you said, Maria, uh, what, what gets me to this movie and what I like about this whole story is that when we're children and we were afraid of things, even though uh, grownups would tell us, like, don't worry about it. It's nothing there. There's no boogeyman. There's nothing. It was real to us. And then seeing this movie as a kid and realizing that grownups can't protect you and grownups are not always right about it. Um, it, it, I think that's what, what is the horror of this movie, um, that the grownups are a part of it. You know, as, as you go on, you're going to find out that this whole town is being manipulated by this malevolent force. So you can't even run to the grownups because some of the grownups are, are so involved, like so manipulated by it that they're, they're also the bad guys. That's what I've noticed too. Like this whole story of it and Pennywise all pretty much comes down to grownups not taking kids seriously. It's it's basically that, you know, scary fact really quick. It's not scary. It's very sad. But did you guys know that Jan, uh, Jonathan Brandis died when he was 27? Oh, wow. With 27, which is our magic number for the story. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah it was, it's it's kind of sad. I mean, it's sad that he's a part of the 27 club. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. I wonder if that's why Stephen King picked the number 27, because so many famous people had died at the age of 27. I know in the miniseries they changed it to 30. Well, it's like from 27 to 30, uh, Pennywise would kill with, within a three-year period. So, like, yeah. I think they just went with the rounded-off number because probably it had a better sound to it, 30, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's he kills within, like, a two- to three-year period. Which usually between 27 years he wakes up, and then thirty year, at the 30-year mark he usually goes back to sleep. Yeah, um, going back into it, um, we cut back into – 
a present day bill. He can't believe he actually forgot Georgie, forgot he had a brother. So in this, in the, in the movie, you get a little hint of it. Like he was like, you know, your brother Georgie. And he was like, yeah, I forgot what happened to him. But in the book, he forgot he even had a brother. Like it was little legit gone. That's pretty insane that like, hey, like forget that much just by leaving Derry. That's how big an effect that this whole thing has on them. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells his wife he has to go back to Maine, that he made a promise. Uh, his stuttering begins to worse, worsen, which is more confusing to her because he never stuttered in front of him, her before. And he she he demands that she stays home and not follow him. Yeah. Uh, so we switch to scenes. We go to New York City. We get to meet our um, haystack, our Ben Hanscom. He's basically drunk with a lady friend. I like using lady friend as a term. So it <laughs> goes back to the big Lebowski, a lady friend. Um, and he's an award-winning architect. He um, mentions to her that he used to be fat and he used to call him Haystack. And as he says that to her, his phone rings and it's none other than Mike calling that, uh, yeah, that it has come back. And as he's holding the phone, he has a flashback of him running down um, to the Barrens, which is like kind of like a grass wooden area with a, like water and things like that. Um, he's being harassed by boys. Uh, he comes back too. He tells Ben, are you sure? I mean, he tells Mike, are you sure? And, uh, yeah, basically says it, it's come back. Will you come? So we get a flashback of Ben's first day in school when he's a kid. Uh, we're introduced to Henry Bowers at this point and two of his goons. Henry Bowers basically threatens Ben in the middle of class and the teacher does like nothing about it, which always bothers me that the people here, the teachers, the adults, nobody gives a crap. Well, to be fair, I had a teacher that didn't care about bullies either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've had similar school experiences with bullying and the teachers not really taking it seriously. Yeah, It, it gets done in front of them and they ignore it. So, yeah, like this is another part of the kids feeling like they can't trust the adults. Yeah. Um, the teacher advises him a 7 p.m. curfew. But the part that gets me in this one is she's like, we're living in uh, we're living in t- treacherous times. And the way she says it, it almost like they know, you mm-hmm. know, because if it happens every 30 years, you would it would happen in your lifetime, at least almost twice. Like if, if you're a kid somewhere around that time and when you get older. So for me, when the teacher says this, I was always off putting like she knew more than what the, the, you know, they're letting the kids know. Um, so from there, we Ben meets Beverly Marsh, uh, who he instantly has to crush on. Uh, as he walks home, Henry Bowers basically uh, grabs him. The gang proceeds to try to cut him with a switchblade knife, and he manages to get away from them and heads to the Barrens. There he finds a uh, sewer drain. He hides in it, and the gang finds two other kids who we later learn is Eddie and Bill. Uh, and they basically harass them, causing Eddie to have a asthma attack. Um, and they leave. As they leave, Ben comes out, goes to the two boys. Bill says to stay with him because he wants to go get his inhaler. And uh, Eddie and Ben become friends. They talk about their fathers being killed, one from cancer. Ben's from the military. And um, he tells him about Georgie and not to bring it up to Bill because he's all messed up about it. And it's just one of those moments where you see three friends becoming, you know, a thing. At that point, they want to build a dam. And he says, Ben says he knows how to do it. So we start seeing his beginnings of him being an architect as a kid and this is important because in the book uh you don't see it so in the in this movie they actually build a smokehouse they smoke themselves out these kids to have a vision because they read it in a book about native americans and how they actually want to be enlightened and talk to a spirit because they think pennywise is a spirit so at one point ben actually builds a bunker and we see the bunker actually built in the new movies 
But then in the new movies, we also don't see the fact that they smoke themselves out like, a, you know, <laughs> which is funny that they actually do these yeah. things because they're like 13, 12 years old at this point. But, yeah, they do that to the point where they're almost choking. Each one stays for as long as they possibly can um, until they tap out and they go to the to the surface. So Ben being an architect is a very big thing in the book and that they really don't actually talk too much about in this actual miniseries. Yeah, and in the book, um, it's also kind of revealed to them that it is actually an ancient alien entity when they when they are in the smokehouse. Huh. Yeah. The new movies do better at explaining like the origins of it and where it came from versus the miniseries. Yeah, that, that I definitely agree with. But they, what they still missed on and they try to incorporate in the new one was the turtle. So I'll get into that later on. There's actually two beings that came together, one evil, you know, of course, and one good. And the turtle that you see in the newer movie, you see a glimpse of a turtle in the lake, a Lego turtle. That's actually what's the power that's keeping these friends together because they're important. And they, um, per- this turtle um, purposely made these friends become friends to defeat the entity, which is Pennywise. He has some weird name, the turtle, too. I don't even know. It's like some weird like storybook name. It's, it's stupid. You could totally tell that Stephen King was on something when he made this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ben, really quick, Ben was at, um, at, when he gets away from everything, he goes to the Baron's water line. Um, he sees a skeleton. This is the first time he actually sees Pennywise. Well, actually, the skeleton is his father first. He hears him. He tells him to come, son. I have a balloon for you. Little by little, little, the the soldier becomes a clown, and then it becomes a skeleton that tries to grab Ben, and it's like, yeah, it's This scene always cracks me up, the absurdity of him walking by and his dad being like, oh, hey, yeah, I live here now. I live in this castle. (laughs) I I laugh my ass off every time. The way he's like, daddy? Like, the way he says it, I'm like, boy, you know that's not your daddy. He's like, daddy, and he's like, yeah, son, I live here now. (laughs) His dad just lives in this sewer thing in the the middle of the woods. Times are hard, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I think think another part that that is missed about Ben and why that scene would have made more sense is that Ben feels like he is a – burden to his mother because they're living back with his mother's uh sister so his aunt's house yeah and um ben constantly feels like he's just a burden like he, he should be doing more for her so it, it gets more into how nerdy he is and how he spends so much time in the library and the book and how he like wants to learn all this stuff and he feels like an outsider and, I, and it's crazy because i think ben's life is saved by the fact that he finds other quote-unquote losers because he, he's going through a, like a very bad stage of depression and and some of the stories that we see in the book I think the one thing that does take uh, that makes these kids different from the other kids is they all had kind of somewhat like adult issues, like problems, like in their real life. Like you said, like Ben had his father, uh, Bill had his brother dying. We'll get into Bev's, you know, family dynamics. But yeah, it's just a lot of different things where these kids really weren't that innocent in a way. In comparison, probably to the kids that were murdered, they're just like, oh, it's a clown. My life is perfect. I'm going to follow this clown. Actually, there was a part before that we um, the reason why Ben ended up in the Barrens is because he was writing a, a love note, a postcard to Beverly and his cousin found it. And then he got in trouble and he took off to the Barrens. And that's where he sees his dad. But after that, we cut to Beverly Marsh. She is a very uh, successful fashion designer. 
she's having a meeting and she gets her phone call, but she can't answer it because her husband's an asshole. So they have to go into this meeting. Uh, later on, uh, she's at home with her husband and she gets the phone call from Mike telling her that it's back. And then she gets up and starts to pack. And at this point, we realize that Beverly's husband's a horrible, horrible person. He basically tries to abuse her, tries to beat her up to stay home. And she throws something, knocking him out. In the book, this was super violent. Yeah. Um, she gets thrown into like a glass uh, mirror. She grabs a shard, starts stabbing him. Um, he's like grabbing, you know, um, a belt, trying to like bound her and trying to keep her in the house. And like, it is super bloody. And you think this guy's dead when she leaves, but he's not. Yeah. I, I think also in the book, we find out that uh, he's physically abusing her and, and raping her. He, yeah. he humiliates her. Uh, so Beverly, um, I think, do, I don't know if we see it in, in, I don't remember if we see it in the movie in this one. I know in the new one we do where she's smoking at a young age. She becomes a smoker. So she goes to smoke when she gets this call. And her husband at the time promised her not to smoke because he hates smokers. And when he finds out that she's smoking, he beats her up. And then that's when he finds out that somebody called her. and becomes like a big abusive scene. Uh, we get a glimpse of this again because it's a Sunday TV show and, you know, they got to keep everything a certain way for the families that were watching it in the night in 1990. Yeah, we she smokes in the movie. So that played on that a little bit better. So then basically she takes off, gets a ca uh, taxi. We see young Bev now. Um, Beverly is uh, entering the door. She opens it up and there is a postcard. And we see Ben hiding in bushes because he left the postcard for Beverly to get. She starts to read it. And, of course, her dad walks in, sees that she has some postcard, reads it, and totally thinks that she's sleezing around at 11 years old, which is like, oh, my God. He, like, decks her, smacks her in the face. In the book, it's completely implied that his her dad is way worse um, yeah. And that, yeah, that she does some pretty horrible things to that poor girl. And the killing part is that her mom's still relevant in the picture. So and she kind of knows it's happening, which makes it like such a, like another layer of like, ugh. yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in in the book, the dad also checks her to see if her hymen's still intact because he's so obsessed with her being a little girl. Oh, yeah. My God. Yeah. And uh yeah, in the book also, she she's more aware of her own body, like every time she's checking to see if her breasts are growing. And she's scared because she knows that potentially once once she becomes a woman, her dad's going to go to the next level. And that's what she's afraid of. And it's so implied in it that his relationship with her is so messed up. And of course, they couldn't put that on the TV show. Yeah. Even without it. I mean, what goes on in the TV show, just the way he talks about it, you could tell that some, this is a very abnormal, scary situation. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's oh, the actor that played him is so damn off-putting. Um, but yeah, so she runs out of the house um, and takes cover by a building. That's where Ben finds her and says, you know, do you want to come hang out with me? Um, he takes uh, Bev down to the Barrens area where we see Bill and Eddie are already hanging out. And he introduced her, but they already kind of know her. She instantly ends up liking Bill, which kind of like Ben already kind of sees and it kind of makes him upset. And then we get to see the introduction of Richie and Stan. Richie's a loudmouth goofball and Stan's like the uptight Boy Scout. And from that kind of day on, they kind of like all stick together. Mm -hmm. So from that point, uh, they all hang out. They start to build a dam together. And they walk her home. And, and in the evening when Bev's in the bathroom, she starts to hear voices in the drain. And she says hello. 
and you hear the voices of all the dead kids that have died. And at this point, I think there's like three or four. And, uh, you know, she's looking inside there and looking inside there. And then all of a sudden a balloon comes through the drain and it's beginning larger, larger, and it pops and blood just smears everywhere. Like this blood right here in this scene is actually pretty good. (laughs) So um, the blood goes everywhere. She calls her dad over. Her dad's all like, you know, it's some boy peeping in on you because that's where his mind's at. You know, he's like, it's a washroom, you know? And so like, she basically says no to drain. And he's like, is it a spider? Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, his hands are all in the blood. His hands touch her face. There's blood on there. And like, she's freaking out because he sees nothing of it which is like so horrific um i hated the scene mainly because it's one of those things where it was so like gruesome for a little girl to go through especially when little girls you know become of a certain age the fact yeah. that her dad didn't see nothing the fact that she's alone she's terrified she's trembling and there's nobody to comfort this poor child it was like heartbreaking for me and then she sits there and basically you know has to clean it herself I always thought it was interesting how after this whole thing happens and then the losers help her clean it up, how even though the adults can't see it and they can see it, they can still clean it off, like even though it's not really there. Yeah. And the whole thing is that Pennywise is not just like an entity. He owns the whole town. Yeah. Like he's he's everywhere in the in the town, which is what kind of like that shows the kind of like a. Not like witchcraft, but like mind games he's playing with everybody. So and then the more he eats, the stronger he gets. So that's like another thing, too. Yeah, we see it cuts back to Bev. She's in a taxi heading to Derry. Now we see Eddie. He's being harassed by his mama and he's on his way to Derry. He's a successful limo driver. He has his own service and uh, he goes to the train station to head back to Maine. We get flashback to young Eddie. They're at a movie theater watching. I think it's like the Wolfman or something. I think they're watching. And he basically, by accident, drops his popcorn on Henry Bowers and his goons. And they see him. But in order for him not to take the heat because his mom is crazy, Richie goes and pours a pop bottle on Henry's head, taking the heat basically off of Eddie and onto him. They run out of movie theater and they try to hide. Actually, in the book, they actually have to run a lot farther from Henry because they really actually almost get them and actually beat them up. So we don't see that in the in the movie. They go to the Barrens where Ben is still kind of looking at the water in their water refinery, thinking about Pennywise, who he saw. They take Eddie home where we see his overbearing mom telling him that she doesn't like his friends. She doesn't want them to hang out with him. She wants him to basically just don't be around people. Watch out for germs. Don't take a shower at gym and all these over bearing things that uh, she does. I, to me, she sounds like she has that one disease where is where you, you make your kids sick. What is it called? Munchausen syndrome by uh, proxy Munchausen? syndrome. Yes. Yes. Cause it, it seems like she's filling him with these lies. And in the book, she's giving him medications for things yeah. too. So this poor kid is not even sick. And here she is like giving him medication. And another thing that uh, that that comes into play in the book too is that Eddie clearly has an Oedipus complex, where he, as an adult, he marries a woman that's just like his mother. Yeah, which we don't see in the miniseries either. No, they they took that out. They just kept them with his mom. But I have to say though, I liked in the movie how they casted the lady for his mom, and then in the second part for his wife, they casted the same lady. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciated that. I like I loved how they played that off. So kudos to the director on that part. So we see Eddie go to school the next day. As his mom said, do not take showers with the other boys because they're full of germs. The coach is like, dude, you you stink. Take a damn shower. Tells him to take a shower. He's in the shower range area by himself. And this is all of a sudden 
shower heads start to move, the water becomes hotter and hotter. And this is the first time we see Pennywise with Eddie. He comes to the, the, the drain and basically is like, you know, making fun out of him, calling yeah. him wheezy. He doesn't have his asthma medicine. So he starts having a little bit of an asthma attack. In the book, he actually does see a leper. And the leper wants to perform pretty questionable things to Eddie at this point. But Stephen yeah. King, I'm, I'm going to pretend that doesn't happen. because yeah, it, was a, it was a leper homeless guy that's uh, offering Eddie oral. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that actor that played in the new movie, by the way. he's a, he's in a, Both Eddies were great. All Eddies yeah. being oh, casted yeah. were yeah. great, yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes from the old TV show. Like, it shows the stop-motion animation, the way that the uh, drain opens up and all that stuff. I, I don't know yeah. why. I know, like, looking at it now, it kind of looks corny, but I love that kind of animation. But, I mean, it, it plays on, like, the things we used to watch, like Gumby and things like that. Like, they had those weird, you know, stop-motion transitions in the animation that was kind of off-putting, but we liked it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we cut to adult Richie. It's Richie's turn to get the phone call. He's uh, basically a TV host, and he is famous doing a late-night show, doing his little stand-up routine. He's with a bunch of people when he gets his phone call. He barely hears Mike. He barely remembers it. And after he remembers, he remembers a werewolf that he was touched um, during like a boiler scene. Kind of remind me of like Freddy Krueger boiler scene that they have here for him. And uh, he runs to the toilet to vomit because it scares him that bad. So we flash back to Richie and the group when he was a kid and Bill's telling a story. They tell him that, you know, he's really, really good at stories and that he should grow up to become, you know, a writer and things like that. So the kids start to talk about what they want to be when they get older, which makes it really, really sad is the part that sticks out to me is when Bill's talking about this, he says he he might not want to really grow up at all. And then to know that the actor didn't really get a chance to really, really grow up in real life, it always kind of like makes me sad when I hear this part. Yeah. Bill's about to tell them a secret. He tells them, I swear to God, if you guys laugh, I'm never going to tell you anything again. When a police officer interrupts and tells them, um, yells at them for the damn first off, and he tells them that another murder happened, um, and it's somebody in their class, that to never travel alone, that they have to stay as a group wherever they go. So we cut to school. Richie runs into Henry Bowers. They have a little tit for tat. He turns around with his food tray in the cafeteria, ends up slamming into a teacher the actor is none other than the cigarette smoking man from the x-files if anybody watches that <laughs> i don't know the i don't know the actor's name but the first i was like it's a cigarette smoking man from the x-files i didn't even catch that and i'm a big x-files fan yeah that, that's definitely him and he looks just as old as he did in the series in this movie and i'm thinking he's like pretty young at this point or did i don't remember when the x-files started but i think it's around the same time i think yeah his, his name is william uh, b davis by the way there you go. Thank you. So he basically slams his food. He tells Richie to go get a damn mop and pick it up. He goes downtown, downstairs to the boiler room area to talk to Bev's dad, who is the janitor for the school, to get a mop. He's looking for it. And all of a sudden, he sees a werewolf. And it's reaching for him, grabbing for him. As he's trying to get loose, he looks back at the world and he starts to kind of transform into a clown. And then we reveal that it's Pennywise the clown and he's taunting every single one of them. He goes back up to the cafeteria and he screams that there's a werewolf downstairs. Everybody laughs. But the gang of friends are already at this point kind of scared and they're not really telling each other what's going on. But they've already had all their encounters with Pennywise. So they're kind of mad at Richie for poking fun at things that they're scared at. At this point, Mike starts to narrate the story again. He's looking at a picture of um, the group, and he's saying the Lucky Seven. He said it was a great summer, even though they almost lost their lives. 
And we finally get a flashback to Mike when he's a kid in class. He's doing a presentation about the history of dairy, which includes huge um, moments of devastation. We get the Ironworks Easter egg explosion that killed kids. We get the water pipe disaster that actually kills construction workers, the disappearance of 200 settlers, which kind of reminds me of the, what is it, the Roanoke colony that they kind of play on? Yeah. 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 And then um, there's a few others that they don't talk about at this moment, which is the black spot where it was veterans in the military. It was African-American veterans. The KKK came in, basically set it on fire. But every time at one of these points in uh, history, somebody sees a clown. Like some eyewitnesses, like, yeah, there was a guy and a clown outfit. There's like there's a mass murder, a guy with an axe and a bar that they don't talk about in this part, too. And he kills like 20 people. And in the back of the bar, there's a guy dressed up as, as a clown. This is just another example of why this should have been longer than than just two episodes, because there's so much that they're they're leaving out. And um, Mike, for me, is one of the most important characters in the book, and he doesn't really get a lot of screen time. So at this point, uh, Henry's hackling Mike, and you find out that he's pretty damn racist. He says some words that we won't be saying here to Mike yeah. in, this, in, in this TV show that I'm surprised they said. I don't know if they said. Well, they probably could be able to say that on air. In 1990, would they be able to say that, the N-word on air? I don't know about that. They were saying it in the 80s, I think, in the Jeffersons. And uh, what was the other show that was connected to that? They, they would say it. I don't know, man. That's that's pretty messed up. But yeah, he says that. But we, we don't know is that Henry in the new movie, Henry's dad is a police officer. That does not happen. Henry's dad is actually another owner of a farm. He's a farm that's competing with Mike's family and Mike's family is doing better in business. So Henry's fuel to hate Mike is fueled by his father, who is a complete racist. Mm-hmm. But Henry, yeah. Henry, yeah, Henry's totally unhinged at this point. He's already killed Mike's dog. Yeah, that's one thing that they don't show about Bowers in, in the TV show is that he poisons uh, Mike's dog and watches him, like, bleed out from its mouth and, and uh, nose as it's dying. And then he captures animals and puts them in this old refrigerator to torture them. Like, so yeah. you've already seen that Bowers is really messed up in the book. Yeah, I wish that they would have explained more like the explanation of uh, why Bowers hates Mike so much. Yeah, and they they talked about it a little bit in the newer one with his, you know, I think they they implied that his parents were dead, but they're not. And yeah. in, in the think, book, I think the reason, sorry, I think the reason why they kept it out in in the 1990s was because of the racial uh, racial tension that was building up even back then. Yeah. So, so they were putting this on Sunday ABC. So ABC is probably like, no, we're not going to touch uh, touch that subject because they they completely leave out a lot of the the big racial incidents that happen in the in the book. So I said um, this off air, and I'll say it again. There is no need for Harry Bowers or Henry Bowers and the damn bullies. We're fighting like these guys are having to fight two wars. They're fighting a war. Tony Wise, they're fighting a war with the bullies. <laughs> Can they just focus? Like let let the poor kids fight only one war. Come on. So I'm yeah. Saying. But yeah, that's, I know. The, that's the point with with it because um uh, we'll get to it in the second part of this whole thing. But but it actually influences people to do their their dirty work, especially when whenever it feels like it's in danger. So Henry Bowers is kind of like he's a like catalyst because like yeah. every time something bad happens, there was somebody like the person that created the murders in the bar that woke up Pennywise. Um, the the person that set off the explosion at the ironworks woke up Pennywise. So there's always some sort of like evil that triggers him to wake up. And it's like a devastation. It's almost like a Mothman prophecies type thing. That's the way I always kind of like felt about it. Yeah. So like there's devastation, there's Pennywise, you know, kind of like the Mothman. 
Mike's going to leave school. Henry Bowers is like, nope, you're not going to leave school. So they're basically going to put um, firecrackers on his pants, which is a horrible thing to do. And he runs off. He runs down into a part of the Barrens, which is more construction area, uh, where he finds the the kids, the Losers Club. He runs up to them, tells them to help them. Basically, Bill stands up. They make fun out of Bill's stutter. Ben stands up, everybody stands up, and ensues the rock fight, which was pretty awesome in the movie that they portrayed. But uh, they did the rock fight. They basically make Henry Bowers retreat in fear, and uh, they became the lucky seven. And they take a picture to basically, you know, make a momentous occasion. And when they sit down to look at the photo album that Mike had in class for his presentation, they realized that Pennywise is in a lot of the pictures going back to the ironworks, going back to, um, I think it was like 1700s. Uh, they showed him back in the Renault kind of like colony area. And as they flip to one page, which is more what 1700s, maybe they see, a, you know, the picture comes to life, like in Georgie's room and we see a carnival ensuing. And then we see Pennywise. Um, I like the actual, CG type of movie magic they did in this for the 90s. This was pretty cool. Having his hand come through and having the kids see it. I think there was a really cool play on like movie magic. So I really love this part of the movie because, you know, it goes into color and the color is actually more richer in this photograph than it is in the actual movie. So the movie has this weird kind of like hue. It's almost like an overcast of sadness. But in the picture of Pennywise, the colors are really bright and really vibrant. And I like how they play it on that dynamic that it's real. It's more than just real. It's going to come yeah. and get you type thing. Yeah, it's really good. And then we get into one of the best monologues I've seen a kid ever do in a movie. After that happens, Stan doesn't want to believe it because he hasn't seen Pennywise or doesn't want to admit to the guys that they saw Pennywise. They all see Pennywise at that moment. Bill gets up and says the whole, you know, you killed Georgie, you bastard. And then he does this whole little monologue about the guys helping him go into the sewers, find Pennywise and kill him. He starts to cry. The kids get up, hug him. But man, I love this part in the movie. The, the kid's such a good actor. Yeah. I always feel for him. This is like the part where you're like, you're rallying with the kids and you feel invested. And I didn't feel that invested with the kids in the movie. I felt like they missed this part. I love the kids in the movie, especially Richie. I love whenever they go in the sewers and he's like, uh, you made me walk through gray water. You punched me in the face <laughs> and this, and now I have to kill this fucking clown. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I love I love the casting of uh, Richie and I love the casting yeah. of Eddie. Like those two were just spot on. I don't know if you if you know about this, but the kid who played Richie, when it was announced that they were doing it chapter two before casting was announced, he did an interview and they asked him, well, who would you want to play the adult version of you? And he said, probably Bill Hader. I and know. Bill, and he said, yeah, because of that little shit. Now I have to play Richie. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. thought that was funny. It's just like, it's like, does this kid even like audition anymore? Like Bill Hader was yeah. so stupid. Like Bill Hader is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. So for seeing, um, I think the guy he, that, he was ahead. like, the, I think he was seriously like the kid who played Richie in part one. And then Bill Hader was just spot on. They were just perfect casting to me. Yeah. Cause um, I mean, the, the group of kids that they have, it was Seth Green that played Richie. You know, he was amazing. And Harry Anderson, he was huge back in the day. You know, he was a big comedian. So, yeah. like, the casting of them two together was perfect. And having Wolfgang and then Bill Hader in a newer movie, I thought that was, like, perfection in, in, as far as casting. The only yeah. person I had a problem with in casting was, um, and I love him in other movies, uh, Professor Professor Xavier, what's his name? 
the actor's name. Oh, oh I know you're talking about. Yeah, uh, James McAvoy. <laughs> I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Patrick Stewart played in this movie. I was thinking of the original. <laughs> no, no. Where did, I, where did I miss that? He's yeah, like, in, he's like engaged. Yeah, James McAvoy played Bill in part two. Yeah, for him, him and the kid, I just didn't, I didn't feel the connect. I, I felt like a uh, dude that played in the old series. He played on uh, what was it, Johnny Boy? And uh, God. What's the old TV show? I can't remember the old TV show. My mom, every time my mom sees him, she's like, oh, it was Johnny Boy. And I forgot what TV show. Little yeah. House of Prank or something. You know, uh, like, are you talking about Richard Thomas? Yes. It was a TV show, The Waltons. The Waltons. There you go. Thank you. And that was yeah. one thing I, I wanted to say was like, you know, real quickly on the casting, you know, the older adult, you know, Richard Thomas was in The Waltons. John Rigger was Three's Company. And then after this was Palm Child, and then he yep. had, you know, his unfortunate, untimely passing. He was in the hit show, uh, Eight Simple Rules, Today My Daughter. So he good. Had Annette O'Toole. Annette O'Toole is, like, literally, like, I think, like, the mother of every single Hallmark or Lifetime movie ever yes. made. Yep. She <laughs> has done so many of those TV movies. Uh, Harry Anderson, as you mentioned, he was uh, big on Night Court. That's uh, so who he's really famous for. And then um, Dennis Christopher, he didn't have the type of career everybody else did. But what I recognize him for was eight years ago, he played, uh, he was the sidekick to um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Django. Yeah. He was Mr. Uh, Mogi. I can't think of <laughs> And then Tim Reed, who was the narrator in this. and um, Sister, sister. Sister, sister, the dad. <laughs> Yep. So I was like, you know, a lot, you know, every single one. And then, you know, we had the one friend who, um, you know, we'll find out later what happens to him. Uh, I think the one who will play the older Stan. I remember him in uh, uh, My Girl 2. Yep. So he was in uh, all the money went to. It wasn't for South of the All the money went to the casting because they had, a, I mean, they had a lot of names when you think of this miniseries. Oh, yeah. They booked it so it, it, people would want to watch it. They definitely were booking for that. At the end of that, with the gang, um, it goes back to present day. Mike's in the, the library asleep. There's a storm. The lightning hits. He sees wet footprints on the, the library floor because that's where he's sleeping at right now. And then he sees a yellow balloon next to him, and it pops. So then we cut to Atlanta. This is Stan's story. We see Stan and his wife, and they're having a good evening, talking about having kids, watching TV. Then he gets the phone call from Mike. He's clearly distraught. He tells him he's not sure he can come. He basically is trying to find every way in the book to get off the phone. He just, he's kind of just rambling over Mike. Mike's like, you made a promise. He's kind of just want to hear it. He clicks the phone and he tells his wife, I'm going to go take a shower. And as he stands there in the washroom and undoes his shirt, starts unbutton, you know, button it, he has a flashback. And the flashback is the kids practicing how to hit cans with a slingshot. Because they believe that it can be killed with silver earrings like silver bullets because you have to believe in the magic at this point. Nobody else believes them. This is something out of a movie. So they're going with movie theories. So they all take turns at shooting. Everybody sucks except for Bev. Stan basically is like, this is a horrible idea. This is probably not going to work. We're going to get ourselves killed. You know, and they're like, you don't have to come. But he still follows. They all make their way to the Barrens to find Pennywise and to the Sewer Strange. Uh, all seven decide to go in. They take a slug of Eddie's inhaler, kind of like an initiation, a bonding thing. And the movie, they did this afterwards. They did it where they cut their hands with a piece of glass and they put their blood together as like a blood rite, blood ritual. So that's kind of like what they're 
playing off of here. What they don't know is that Henry Bowers is right behind them, going to follow them inside the sewers. They make their way through the tunnels. They think they're lost, but Eddie knows the way. They see a pom-pom which is basically meaning they're on the right trail. They don't see Henry and his goons behind them. Um, Henry's following behind. They hear a noise, and we start to see through the perspective of Pennywise, which is like a light that's going through the drains. And then all of a sudden, one of the goons is taken by the light and killed. His name is actually Vic in the book. So um, I don't think they actually said his name in the series at all. He's pretty horrible, this kid, too. Yeah, they're all pretty bad. They all kind of, like, manipulate. And then they uh, just... Yeah, he gets decapitated in the book, actually, and they didn't even do that in the series. <laughs> so every time you flash back to the book, I'm just like, I'm I will never ever read this book because your notes are just like, <laughs> I would have nightmares for life. Like you probably could convince me to read a book, but this is definitely not gonna be one of them. Dude, seriously, the worst part of this whole book is the, is the black spot when the people are trying to get out of this bar and it's burning. The description of people trying to get out of a small window. It's yeah. horrific. Like Penny, Pennywise is a giant bird just laughing at them. Yeah, just so, just going in circles. Yeah, I will not read all 1,183 pages of that book. It sounds like Pennywise is way more sadistic in the book because, like, I prefer, like, Pennywise in the movies because he's, like, he's more sadistic than he is in the series. But it sounds like the book just tops it. Oh, uh, the yeah. book totally – like, there's one part where <laughs> there's um there's actually a shootout under Times Square, which is another tragic tragedy they have. Mobsters – Three mobsters come out, and then at this time, there's, like, police coming out, and there's, like, racists coming out. Like, it's a whole group of people in a Times Square to just have a huge shootout. And he's at a window, kind of with those noisemakers that he kind of, like, hackles with uh, Richie with, just, like, <laughs> just shaking it and laughing. So, the, like, the only reason why they know is that as you go through what you don't see in this is that Mike gets, like, firsthand accounts of people that survived these moments. And yeah. this one guy is hiding as his shootout's going out. And he says, all you can hear is this, like, da 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 and it's laughing. And when he looked up to a window, he saw a clown. He saw a clown just laughing his ass off. So I'm just and like... A, a lot of the people that uh, Mike actually talks to, they always keep talking about, like, yeah, there was this clown, and I don't remember the circus or, or the um, carnival. The carnival, before. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what um, it reminds me of on a, just on a small tangent? Like, I really am interested in seeing if, like, the director or the producers who made Child's Play 3 use any of this, like, source for, like, some sort of inspiration. Because the way you're describing that part is, to me, is reminiscent of when uh, in Child's Play 3, when Chucky uh, puts, like, the bullets inside of the guns. Yeah. And, yeah. and as Argy throws a grenade, I'm just like, just like that that very malicious evil clown i'm just like god it's just you know i know they say that uh, bill is you know as as adult bill is supposed to be like stephen king but i'm just like i think pennywise is more like stephen king probably because it's <laughs> fucked up in the head <laughs> yeah. i'm telling you guys uh, again he, he wrote this he wrote this book while he was under a lot of influence of cocaine so yeah. yeah, he made Pennywise a clown because he said that that's what he figured most kids are scared of. When we talk about like The Shining and stuff like that, if we ever do that, like I have stories of when I went to go see uh, his son talk about his dad because dad, you know, he was an alcoholic and he he wasn't shy from it. But like, there's so many stories of his dad and him that I'm like, dude, this is why both y'all are messed up. But like the late get... great Rick James said, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> yep. Yeah. To, to get back to the to to the TV series, I think that um. It's sad that they, they made Stan such a small part in it because in the book, he, he's a kid with OCD. 
and he's under a lot of bullying for being Jewish, and there's a lot of anti-Semitic parts where, where they're just coming after him just for, for his religion. Yeah. I think the movies do a good job with Stan. Yeah, the movie did. Yeah, I, I really do agree that they did. It made him more, um, man, it just made him seem more uh, sad, like a yeah. really, like a genuinely very simple, very sensitive yeah. guy. And like the way that they end it where like you find out that where like they all get his letter where he's saying it's not a suicide note. It it was just a tactic to make sure that they won. But by taking himself off of the map. Yeah. Yeah. I like to actually that because that's not in the book, but I really did like the addition of that to that. It really did a nice little closure for Stan. Going back, uh, Stan is the last one trailing in the group because that's just what he's doing. (laughs) He's trailing. And Henry grabs him with Belch. And they, the group is going forward. They notice Stan is missing. And then all of a sudden you cut back to Henry and Stan and they're about to try to cut Stan. But then the light comes We're at the perspective of Pennywise again. And the light's coming through the tunnel. The tunnel grabs Belch and puts him through the drain. Actually, what happens in the book is that he's severely mutilated in front of them. He's like all mutilated on one side of his body and one side of his face, which they kind of played on a little bit in the movie where half his face is kind of gone too. So at this point, Stan runs and Henry Bowers looks into the deadlights, which turns his hair completely white. As Stan's running, the rest of the gang hears them and they group back together. They're actually in the middle of a crossroads where different pipes lead everywhere. And then fog starts to rise around them. Bill tells everybody to hold hands and take cover because you can feel this entity coming. And it goes, it hovers over them. Oh, actually, sorry. Go back. They, um, they hold hands and then the fog starts to recede a little bit. They hear the voice of Georgie. Bev tells them Georgie's not there. She hears the voice of her dad. Richie says, that's not your dad, sweetheart. And then he feels the hands of the werewolf on his shoulders and he tells them, you're not there. The significance in this is that every time they denounce Pennywise, he gets a little hurt. Like he yeah. actually, it impacts him a little bit. Like, ah, oh, shit, he's not, he's not getting his tactics across. Except for Stan, who's completely scared and reciting some Boy Scout thing to himself, which in when he opens his eyes and he's breathing and he lets go of that like dialogue, his inner dialogue, that's when Pennywise grabs him, shoves him against the wall. Everybody's freaking out. Bev's trying to get her silver earrings. She's struggling to get them out. Stan's about to get basically eaten or bit by Pennywise. She shoots once. She misses. Eddie basically grabs his inhaler, goes up to Pennywise and says, this is battery acid. You slime and slam, you know, sprays it in front of Pennywise and it impacts him. It impacts him because Eddie believes that it will hurt him. And that's why Pennywise gets hurt. So as he's screaming and his face becomes all disgusting and liquidy gooey with his hands, Bev grabs one of the last shots, shoots him, hits him in the side of his head. And you see a bright light, which is actually Pennywise's dead lights, um, which hypnotizes you and makes you comatose. And at that point, he jumps up and tries to go into the drain. It opens up and he goes inside and the kids are like, no, Bill's like, please help me grab him. They grab his hand. Bill's holding onto his hand. The glove starts to slip off. And then you see this reptilian insect looking fang looking weird hand that he has and he slips through. As he slips through, you can hear Pennywise screaming agony, and the kids are like, is he dead? And they're like, I don't know. He has to be hurt. But they don't know if he's dead. They decide to go back to the surface where Bill says his story of, if it isn't dead, promise me you'll come back and we'll finish the job. Everybody agrees. Stan is once again reluctant, but then he says he agrees and they'll come back. We switch back to Stan present day. Um, his wife goes upstairs to see why he's taking so long in the washroom. When she opens the door, she sees that Stan has committed suicide. Uh, blood's everywhere in the, in, in the bathtub. Blood's 
dripping off his hands. And then we see the words written it's on the wall. And that's the end of part one. But yeah, those kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, don't, I don't think you could have done any of that. <laughs> I yeah. did have one question, Maria. Yeah. Um, the question I had was, so in the part where they're in the circle, this is in the movie, they're in the circle. And it's like, that's not your dad. That's not Georgie. You know, yes. you're not real. Is that in the book? And the reason why I'm asking is from what I found, he started writing this in, in 1981 and finished it around 85 and was published in 86. But this part to me is kind of reminiscent to some of the parts of Nightmare on Elm Street. So obviously yeah. this wouldn't like Nightmare on Elm Street and it is, was kind of almost done at the exact same time. So they wouldn't be influenced by one or another. Um, so it's the same. What they don't talk about is the fact that they get lost and it feels like forever. They're getting really cold. They're super wet. They can't figure out what's going on. They keep on hearing things that is trying to grab them to go somewhere else. So they're seeing visions and stuff, the kids. And this is kind of like another thing. Stephen King's a sick bastard sometimes when he writes things. Um, mm. but, the, but the kids engage in sexual activities because yeah, they have... Yeah, it made no fucking sense. I remember hearing about that. I was like, "What?" Yeah, the reason why I won't watch that movie. Yeah, um, I mean, so, the reason why I won't read the book. I mean, so yeah. like, but I, I think it, it, in the book is um, so they're they're completely lost after they 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 pretty much think they kill it. Yeah. Um, and they're starting to kind of like drift apart from each other and they're like getting so scared that they're no longer trusting in each other. Yeah. They're getting snappy. They can still hear things. They're freaking yeah. out. And it's, I mean, it's disgusting because it's a, it's an orgy of kids, but I think the, the thing that he was trying to portray was that after the battle that they had against this maleficent force, they're no longer kids. They've become adults and Bev kind yeah. of used this as a way for them to kind of get back together. Like she, she takes control of her sexuality. Her sexuality was controlled by her father for so long. This is a way of her taking control yeah. of it. And I mean, could, could there have been better ways of uh, telling the same thing? Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that's what I figured, too. It, it, it's basically more of a way to tell everybody that, that was the end of their innocence. They talk about it. Bev says in the part of the book that she says the only thing she knew that can, she can give somebody to like to love somebody because it was such a big topic in her house. And that, that idea was that she thought that was a way to connect them together as a group and then they figure out where to go from there. And they, they yeah. really like, they say, they, they calm down. Some of them are crying. Uh, like Eddie's crying. I think Ben is crying. Cause they really think they're going to die. Like after they think they killed Benny wise, they're like, Oh, now we're going to die in these drains and no one's going to find us. It was definitely didn't need to be written. I like how they have Ben kiss uh, Bev in the, in the new movie, but that part never happened either. Yeah. Yeah. No. They they do the the blood oath after that, and then they kind of like drift apart from each other. So then we go uh, starts part two, present oh, time. Oh, oh, and quickly in, in the book, Bowers is actually blamed for all the child murders that happened that summer. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. Sorry, on that point, there's something happens with the drains after Pennywise gets hurt. It's like he loses his power, so things that were like holding together come apart, and so bodies start coming out of the drains. Yeah. And so like they find like the bodies of like some of the dead girls, his friend. Um, and, and at this point, too, which they do in the movie, Henry Bowers does kill his father. And so they find his father dead, too. So that did happen in the book, too. He goes crazy. They, they, they did mention, though, in the movie that that they they pin the they pin like the children's deaths on him. Right. I mean, they did say that. Later, no. Uh, it, it, no so in 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 part, in a part two, they said that he went crazy when he found him. He kept on saying mm -hmm. he was a clown, 
And so they thought he was insane. They're and using the, insanity. And so they put him in a mental institution. And in, the movie, in the movie, they just blamed him for the, the death of his father because he pretty much like that. That's the one thing. Yeah. That they, they, but they never pinned the, the children's deaths on him. So that was just a way for the town to kind of get over like, oh, no, he, he did it. And everybody tries to live a normal life after that. I love in the movie in part two where Bowers is just riding around in the car with his zombie friend. Or <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, for me that was like uh, it felt very like a uh, pet cemetery when the doctor kept yeah. seeing that dead dude. I'm just like nobody sees him, bro. You're by yourself. <laughs> just riding around in the car with zombie. <laughs> So we get present day. We see Bill at a cemetery in Derry. He's going to pay his respects to Georgie when he's interrupted by Pennywise, who's digging graves. He sees seven, but one is filled in. And at this point, he does not know why. Uh, he leaves the cemetery to meet Mike in the library. Uh, they leave to his house to talk about how, why he forgot and why Mike hasn't. Um, so Mike's just like, he's been here. And that's probably why he hasn't forgotten because he was always around it. Every corner stop reminded him of what they went through as kids. And Mike shows him that he uh, bought his old bike silver from uh, an old antique store. And then Bill remembers a moment with Stan riding on uh, his bike, going away from a house where he was scared. We don't get into that part yet, but we do. We get a feel good montage here of two friends playing with the bicycle. No, not yet. Not even. Oh, okay. I thought no. this was the part. <laughs> no, it, it, no, not yet. That's after uh, they we go into Richie. Richie's driving in, and I love I love this actor so much. He's driving into town. He's just being stupid himself. He goes past the marquee of the movie theater they used to be at, and the other side of the marquee has rest in peace. You know, rest in peace, Richie Tozer, uh, which is already Pennywise. You know, making jabs at him. So he goes yeah. into the library looking for Mike Hanlon. And so he's like, oh, I'll just wait. So he sits down and waits, and he sees Pennywise at the top of the library being loud as all hell. Nobody can hear it. He's being an asshole. Then he sees balloons. I love this scene because the balloons, the way they pop on the actors, and the actors had to keep that straight-ass face is, like, the best part. (laughs) This is some damn good acting, the way they were able to just – the blood splatters, and they don't even – it doesn't look like it even affected them at all. They just stayed still. Nope. They just stood still. You know, this part is like this is like one of my favorite parts. I, I just love how annoying Pennywise has been. Like if I was, if I, was I, I would literally have just turned around and just been like, "Look, fuck <laughs> off, okay? You're you're being annoying." And it's, it's also hilarious because like everybody in the library doesn't see anything happening and they just see this guy just shouting. <laughs> yeah, he just like tell Mike, and he's just like. I'm like, dude, I would have been so pissed. But this is a scary part. Like, so the movie itself, like, if you look at it compared to other things that we were going to be reviewing and talking about on our podcast, it's not legitimately horror scary. But the fact that you're an adult, you're a full fledged adult, you're no longer a kid, and you see this shit and nobody else does. That, my my friends, that is scary. Because if you tell another person, they're going to think you're insane. Yeah. You know, like, and nobody sees this shit. But I, I love the scene with Richie. Once again, like, I, I love, I love all the Richies that were casted in these movies. Yeah, so he runs out because he can't, he can't handle the shit. So he runs out and he goes to, uh, we don't see him later until everybody meets up. But then we go to back to Bill and Mike and that little feel good of them on the bike and. This was blah, so blah, blah. so late eighties, early nineties movie scene I, right here. With the Temptations music. Yeah. <laughs> So um, they they, uh, they bring out a pack of a uh, deck of cards because um, they're going to do that one trick that you put on your bike to make this sounds like, you know, little gunshot rattling. And then the 
pack flies and then they see Pennywise in the cars. So then they decide to get their shit together and start heading to where they're going to meet up for dinner. We cut to Ben driving into Dyer, uh, Dairy, sorry. And, uh, he gets out by Dairy's bridge. My thing is, why are you getting out of cars? Like people here, like they're sightseeing, like don't go nowhere. Like, you know, this is for real. People are already dead. So this part already kills me. Like Ben does this, Bev does it. But anyways, Ben gets out of his car, goes by the bridge, uh, where Henry and the gang cha- chased them. We see the same thing happening. First, he thinks it's a memory where we see a kid being chased by goons, but it's really happening. A kid falls. Um, he helps him up, gives him a bandana, mends his, his leg, and then he hears a voice, and he stands up, and it's the same exact image of the kid hearing his dad by the water line. But this time, there's no, there's no dad. There's no Marine. There's nothing. It's just a floating skeleton. Tells him to go back. You know, you still have time to go back. He gets back into the car. He's going into Derry, and then at the roadside, he sees Pennywise with balloons, which I love this imagery. This is like one of my favorite parts of the the movie. We're just he just waving like an asshole on a, the corner of the road, and then when Ben turns around, there's a balloon and the car, and it pops. We cut to Eddie. He's coming in. He's going to the pharmacy uh, to get medication. We flash to young Eddie, where the pharmacist is telling him that he's not a sick boy, that his mom's putting it all in his head, um, and you know that it's just basically a fabrication. What we don't see in this movie, or even in the the this mini series, mini series or movie, is that Eddie has his arm broken by Henry Bowers as a kid. He gets taken to the hospital where his mom's like, I'm going to refuse to have you talk to these kids, blah, blah, blah. There's like a huge thunderstorm happening. And it's like one of the worst thunderstorms in Derry. And his mom's trying to basically keep him away from these kids to the point where she's like, I'm going to get a restraining order. But the kids, all the rest of the kids are outside on their bikes waiting for Eddie to come out. And they're just in the rain waiting. So Eddie has an epiphany where he tells off his mom. He's like, Mom, they're my friends. I have to be with them. We have a mission. Something's going on. You're not going to understand, but I have to go and I have to help them. And this all happens before they go into the sewer system. But after he says that, this the sky is clear and it stops raining. So, like, there's little parts that where you see that there's something bigger than the kids taking place that has to keep them together. And this is one of those parts where they don't mention how Eddie has his arm broken. He gets his arm broken again by Henry Bowers uh, later in the story. But yeah, this is a, one of those pivotal moments because he has the cast and everything. Um, so flashback now, he's going to get his medication and he sees the old pharmacist that helped him when he was a kid. He has dementia. He's like, hey, do you remember me? I'm Eddie Casprack. I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. I used to live here. And then as he's about to leave, he grabs him and it's Pennywise talking. And the guy's face when he does this part is kind of creepy. I never liked this part in, in, the, in the movie. I don't like the way that the actor's like shaking and calling Eddie and telling him you're all going to float and stuff like that. I didn't like the old dude. He scared me. So we cut to Bev. This part's pretty cool, too. I like this in the movie and the miniseries. Cut to Bev. She's going to her old house. She rings the doorbell, which she thought says Marsh, which is her last name, but it doesn't. It says another older lady's name. I can't remember. Um, forgot the lady's name that actually says. The lady informs her dad her dad had passed away. She invites her in for some tea. She asks to go freshen up. She goes into the washroom, and she recalls all the blood and things that happened. As she's standing there and comes to, the lady's like, you know, are you okay, miss? And she looks in the basin of water and there's a bunch of water there. Like she's been standing there for at least 10 to 20 minutes, which to me is already a red flag that something bad is happening. So she goes to sit down with the lady, pours her some tea and the tea isn't tea. It's blood. And this old lady's like gulping this tea down, all disgusting. She has like rotten tea. 
She starts to say things really funny. You can hear her voice changing. And then she looks up and it's actually her dad. So her dad's like in this really weird old lady's outfit, but she, he's like half zombified, all nasty looking. And then she runs out of the house. She realizes it's been bored up that she never, the house wasn't even livable. Nobody could live in there. And then Pennywise is standing there. And then you see a balloon bouncing down the street. Yeah, I think the significance here is that she's actually supposed to be the witch of Hansel and Gretel, and it's because Pennywise eats kids. Yeah, because she's supposed to be like, she looks kind of witchy in the book, where it's like she has like weird things in their house. Yeah, like she, she's supposed to be the witch from Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. That's who she is. We cut to England real quick, and we see Bill's wife all distraught. She wants to leave after Bill, and then we kind of realize something's going on weird with her agent and her. Like, he's kind of having an—she wants almost having an affair, but not having an affair. And what we don't see in the actual movie is that Bill and Bev actually do have an affair in a book, which is weird. And we also don't see that Beverly's husband comes after her, and it actually gets possessed by Pennywise at a point, too. Yeah, I was about to say that he was supposed to be a big villain in the second part, and he was cut from the series. Yeah, which I think it would have added a little bit to it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe a little bit. So, yeah, the gang meets up at a sushi restaurant. Uh, Stan's missing. They're like, where is he at? They go down memory lane. As they're doing that, we see Henry Bowers at a mental institution where he's talking to Pennywise that's in, like, a moon. He's, like, listening to him, seeing him in the moon. And then we see uh, Belch come from underneath his bed give him a knife, and tell him he has to go back to Derry to kill them all. We go back to the group. They think it's crazy as hell to go after Pennywise because they're old, and they don't see how how they're going to be able to stop them if they couldn't do it as kids. They proceed to almost leave. They decide to crack open their fortune cookies, and this scene is pretty funny in both movies. Each cookie has some weird things. It has, like, a baby chick fetus, a spider, a bat, an eyeball. I love in the movie Richie's reaction, this fortune cookie's looking at me. (laughs) He just puts his napkin over it. Bill Hader's like, oh. So, yeah, they leave out freaked out, and then they run to the library. Both parts, I love the fact that each Chinese person that's working there, the Chinese lady, are like, what the hell? Because they're, like, destroying and screaming and doing all this weird stuff. And I I just like the fact they're like, I don't – what is going on here? So, yeah, uh, they go back to – the library where they call Stan's residence and find out that he killed himself. Uh, Bill remembers uh, the grave he saw and then realizes that that's what that meant, that Pennywise already had in store for Stan. He tells them the story about how when Stan first saw Pennywise, he was bird watching and the house called his name. And then when he went in, he saw a mummy coming down the stairs who grabbed him, managed to almost get him. But he started reciting all the birds that he caught that day, which broke the spell because he was kind of like resembling reality versus what was not happening. So I think that's kind of like what broke that. It's kind of like a mantra thing that they have in the book that they always talk about. So then Bill finds them, takes them on silver into a safe area. Eddie says that Stan was the only one to look into Pennywise's deadlights and he wanted to be there because the deadlights is kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's a facade. It's a calming, it's a soothing thing. So it makes you want to go with it. And so they don't really play on that a lot in either movie, but you want to look into it. You want to go with Pennywise. It's almost the most calming experience you have, and you want that in your life, especially if everything is hectic. They open up the fridge to get drinks, and then balloons come out, and you see Stan's head. I love the way the actor portrayed this part yeah. in the movie. It's weird, too. Adult Stan only has three scenes in the miniseries. I mean, they paid him pretty good to have three scenes. Two yeah. of them are alive, and one's dead. Yeah, he basically says the whole thing, you're all going to float. It starts to rain inside the library. The group holds hands uh, together and it stops. They all retreat to the hotel. This is At this point, we see Henry Bowers 
uh, helping being helped by Belch kill a guard that is Pennywise, kind of not Pennywise, it's like a Doberman Pincture in a clown suit, which is the same way it's portrayed in the book too, which is weird that they kept it that way. They help him get out, he escapes. The gang's back at the hotel. Mike's talking about all the tragedies again and how it comes back every so often when it feeds. And then in order for it to feed, it has to take some physical form. So they have to be able to kill it. Then Bev recalls a time where Henry was going to assault her and that adults don't do anything. It's almost like the whole town looks a different way when bad things happening. So Mike says that the when he found a picture of Georgia, he knew that it came back and he was for sure. They talk about how their bond is something that's strong, that it can kill that, can kill it that they have to believe again that all the powers of the losers together is what brought them together and what's going to kill Pennywise. We cut to Audra, which is the part that I, I wish they would have kept in both the both movies and everything, is that when she's looking for directions from the gas station guy and it ends up being Pennywise, she actually gets abducted by Bev's husband because Pennywise tells him to. And he brings him brings Audra down into the sewer. I thought that was a cool way to actually include Bev's husband, but they didn't do it. So, yeah. We go back to the group. They're telling their stories. Bev talks about uh, cleaning up the bathroom blood. We had talked about that already, that it came back again after she cleaned it. But it didn't go away until all the losers showed up and actually helped her clean it. At this point, they want to split up and get a few things before talking more. So they all go to each other's room. They stay together. So they split up in groups. This is the part that's really funny. Ben goes into Bev's room to get her shawl. Mike goes into his room and notices the windows open, but Henry Bowers uh, is behind there. He ensues into a fight with Henry Bowers where he gets stabbed. Eddie's in the washroom at this point, cleaning, uh, brushing his teeth. He doesn't hear Mike struggling. Uh, Bev walks into the room with Ben, recites the poem that Ben wrote, and then they start to make out. And Ben's like all totally into it, thinking it's really her. But then he, when he reaches over and looks into the mirror, it's actually Pennywise, which is just like, and he, got, he has makeup on his face. It's horrible. What did he say? Kiss me, fat boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he runs out the door. Looks. That was back. one of my fa- that was one of my favorite parts in the in the whole in the miniseries was that John Ritter double tool with the Tim Curry part. Because then John Ritter looks down and he just sees like clown pants. And then he looks at <laughs> he looks at another tool and it's Pennywise's face and you see like just makeup just like you know his makeup is smeared and it's, I don't know why I just thought it was funny that specific scene. <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's like it, it looks like a clown, but it has like a grandma's shawl over it. You know what I mean? Like it just like let's just put the shawl over Pennywise, and it just looks so stupid. <laughs> no, it was a good scene. Uh, he grabs, you know, puts his hands to his face. There's no makeup there. There's nothing there. He, he meets Eddie in the hallway where they hear some sort of struggle. They go in, they break through the door. They see Mike struggling with what they don't know at the time is Henry Bowers. They wrestle. Eddie's wrestling him off of Mike. Eddie turns him around and he stabs uh, Henry Bowers and kills him. Same thing happens in the book. They rush Mike into the hospital where he's touch and go, um, you know, and they're not really sure what's going to happen. And the book, I'm not even sure if Mike actually comes to. I think he's actually in a coma at this point. So when I think they go into the hotel, Bill does find the silver stuff. But I can't re- I can't remember too much of this. But I know Mike is pretty much in a coma at this point. Uh, Bev cries outside of the hospital. Ben and Bev embrace. Then she starts reciting the poem. And then it's funny because Ben's like triggered. And he's like, is that even you? And it's funny because like, she's like, what are you talking about? Like, she looks totally scared of him at that point. But, you know, he could, he says, I can't tell what's real anymore. I don't know what's the clown or what's not. And it's really, really her. So then they make out and blah, blah, blah. Eddie interrupts them. They go see Mike. Mike tells them they have to go in there. 
but not to trust the people in the town. So they decide not to tell anybody that Henry Bowers is dead in the hotel. They just decide to all check out and head to the Barrens. Before they go inside, Bev says she brought her slingshot. Bill gives her the silver earrings, one for Mike, one for Stan, and they go in. As they make their way in, Bill sees a purse and realizes that's Audra. She uh, takes off and he basically falls to the ground because he's scared and realizes that it's all his fault for everything. It's his fault for getting them into this in the first place. It's his fault that Audra's here. Bev says you have to snap out of it because without him, they're going to all die. In order to find Audra, he has to be strong. So he comes too. They finally get to the point where they're at the crossroads of pipes. They see a little boat coming down and then they see little armless Georgie. So we do see a little armless Georgie this time. Say, Bill, it's all your fault. It's your fault. I got killed. And Pennywise ate my arm. And so he's feeling really bad about it. But he's like, you're not here. So, you know, they're fighting it off. They're like, you know, where should we go? And then Bill's like, let's just see where this takes us. So he, with the power of the group, he puts down the boat and the boat actually leads them to the door where Pennywise's lair is at. This is pretty accurate to the book. There's like a bunch of bones and it's like kind of like in the movie too. It's more underground, looks more like a cavern, but there's a bunch of bones and skulls and there's all these weird symbols, kind of ancient very old time symbols that opens up this door and then they go in. They follow the path. They see a bunch of spider webs everywhere. Uh, Bill sees Audra. She's kind of cocooned in spider webs. And before he can actually grab her, this huge, massive ass spider comes out. I hate spiders, guys. When I was a kid, this scared me. So I was like, nope, I would have been done. I would have been like, I guess I'm going to die. I'm not, I'm not no use to anybody. Um, Bev takes a shot again and misses. Bill keeps his gaze on him and says this little matcha, you know, I beat the fist against the post and still insists to see the ghost. He says the thing that helps him through his stutter. And then all of a sudden the deadlights come on and he stands up and the spider's deadlights are, uh, it's, it's on his belly. So yeah. then he kind of gets into this trance. So what you don't see here, guys, is that in the book, they call it the right of Chud. We see it in the new movie where it's supposed to be a battle of wits that happens in this kind of like astral plane. So, they're kind of, it's, it's kind of like basically them talking shit to each other in the book. <laughs> so Bill's trying to talk shit to Pennywise. Pennywise is like talking shit back. Richie decides to help him. He sees the deadlights in the, in the miniseries and the book, he's there telling Biddy, Bill, you got to stab out of it. You got to come back. Bev is going to go look for the other earrings. At this point, Ben's trying to distract the creature because the creature, even though it's using its lights, it still can move and it can still attack. So Ben's trying to get his attention. He gets hit. And this is the part where Eddie comes in. And this both stories, Eddie comes in and he tries to attack him with his inhaler in the miniseries. And it doesn't work. And instead, the creature picks him up and basically tears him apart, almost rips off his arm. Blood is like shooting out everywhere. He almost dies instantly, but doesn't. He's kind of hanging on. Bev uh, comes around. And finally has one of the silver things, hits it under the underbelly, and he gets hurt. The spider recedes into the back. They go to see Eddie. Eddie's passed. Unfortunately, they start crying, but Bill's like, we got to finish this. We got to do this for Eddie. We got to do this for Georgie and everybody. They follow the spider and deeper into the cavern where he's injured and laying on his side, and they start beating the hell out of it, basically. Uh, they rip off its arms, its legs, everything. They Until Bill reaches in, grabs out his heart. Um, pulls out his heart and then destroys it. And then we start to see the spider webs and everything come down. At this point in the book, everything starts to crumble in, in itself. And it actually becomes like a manhole. 
um, on the outside of the community. So it's, it's like there's a huge thunderstorm happening and everything's crashing down. There's an earthquake. So as it's happening, there's an earthquake going on and the community is like, what the hell's going on as they're defeating and destroying Pennywise. Um, so Bill grabs Audra. She's still in a vegetative state, but she's alive. Richie grabs Eddie and takes him to the surface. Mike's narrating the story again. He says that he's starting to forget the events that had happened this time, unlike before, which he thinks this is the reason why Pennywise is dead. Ben and Bev are happily together. Richie went on to doing a successful career. His co-star looks a lot like Eddie. Bill stayed behind, hoping that some sort of magic was still in them and still in the area that would help Audra. And before they head back home to England, he puts Audra on silver, and they go down a very steep slope in Derry. They almost get hit by a car, and him reciting, I believe in the tooth fairy, I believe in this, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just believe, you know, believe Audra, you got to believe this is okay, you can wake up. She does wake up right before they get hit by a car, and then we get the end of the book, end of the movie, too. Um, In the book, the only thing different is that he actually goes all, like, hardcore bike style off a ramp, and they're airborne for a second. <laughs> so she actually wakes up and grabs on hold of them while they're kind of like in midair and then they land and then she wakes up. So, but yeah, that's the end of the whole story. I remember the director thought that using Pennywise to turn into a spider for the miniseries was really lame and that they wish they would have done something different looking back at it, but they pretty much had to due to production cost. It's the best that they could do. Yeah, I mean, in the yeah. story, he's a spider, and uh, Pennywise is actually like a female spider with a bunch of eggs. And what happens is that instead of Ben being distracting them, Ben actually starts to destroy the eggs, which in return, Pennywise starts screaming. So it looks like, and Stephen King never really elaborated on it, but I think this is what it was. It looks like he was building an army to like basically these creatures, this evil entity was going to go into other places. And that's what Pennywise yeah. was. Because in, in Pennywise is seen in a lot of books. He's in the Dark Tower series. He's in the, um, the Johnny Knocker series. He's even in The Shining. Um, the other creatures, if you guys saw Dr. Sleep, they have the white lights. That kind of like is a resemblance of dead lights. There's a lot of going back to what Pennywise actually was and a lot of his lore. Yeah. yeah. The turtle, I think, is also in the one with the, with the cowboy, the gunslinger. Dark, the Dark Tower? The Dark Tower, yeah. The thing that I wanted to say about this is that that like yeah they missed on that part too because Pennywise is cocooning people and it looks like it's cocooning people because the eggs are finally going to be able to hatch and eat on the on the people that it was cocooning and Pennywise was just restoring its energy. I think they kind of like mentioned how it, it's it's older than time this creature and I think it was finally getting ready to unleash an army of themselves. Yeah, but, it was like two asteroids hit. One was the good one, was the bad one. He ended up being in dairy. And his he, he crashed so far down that that's why he's so far underneath the ground is that's where the, the meteor is at. So I like how they played in the movies that it was kind of like something that impacted the area when they all got in there, the losers. So it mm-hmm. kind of resembled that. And I like the fact that they had the ritual of Chud in, in the newer movies, at least the resemblance of it. Yeah. I love in the movies, in Chapter 2, I love Richie's reaction, whatever he's doing this big talk, and all of a sudden he gets hit with the deadlights immediately, and he just immediately just freezes. <laughs> he goes like that, yeah. he's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like the best fucking thing. Dude, I love that part, and when I love it, part, he's like, I hope it's a puppy, and then they open the yeah. door, and it was a small dog, and they're like, yeah. oh, it's really cute. Yeah, he's like, it's a Pomeranian. He's like, no, no, I know what this is. <laughs> No, what is Eddie say? He's like, no, no. And he's like, this fucker's just playing with us. Yeah. (laughs) 
I was like, you guys are horrible. No, but like, I, I honestly, the whole movie was so well casted for the older miniseries. But man, guys, like if you guys haven't seen Whoever's listening, if you guys haven't seen the newer version, watch both in comparison because you really start yeah. to get a you get a better sense of the whole picture if you're never going to read the book. It's a lengthy book, it is, but if you really like the lore of Pennywise and you're into the Outsider, which is another creature that came from like it's some some you know really under earth creature that came to life and he's been here for thousands of years, which another it's another playback to Pennywise. If you've seen Castle Rock, Skarsgård's character is in there, and they talk about. A carnival. They, t- they legitimately talk about a carnival. Um, some of his books that are now based in Castle Rock now, because now he has this elaborate world that he's spinning now, have to do with, there's a circus, and there was a circus that came in with uh, a band that's called Pennywise and something, something. There's all these little signs that there's more to the story than there really is. And um, I think that's why I like the character so much, is because yeah. there's so much horror in one area of the world. And that I just, I just, I just, I'm kind of like, I just like that. I like that sense of it. Since I've read the book, I was wondering, because I noticed the miniseries didn't pick up on it. The movies did. In the book, is there like a underlying like insinuation that Richie's in love with Eddie? No, there, there yeah. really isn't. Um, there isn't, but you can tell they played on it because Eddie, yeah. Eddie, he, it was almost like Richie took Eddie as like a little brother. Yeah. Um, and so like it was very like when he died, it, it hurt him. It hurt him really, really bad in the book. Um, man, watching Bill Hader cry, like legitimately, yeah. he did that so damn well. It was one of the saddest things I've seen that man ever do. And I love that guy. If you guys haven't seen Barry, watch it. It's such a good show. But yeah. the way they played on it, and I was okay with that. Actually, them spinning it that way, that he actually had a thing because they played yeah, on it with that. Eddie. Yeah, I liked that he was actually like, especially when Pennywise was like talking about how how he knew his secret, and like it turns out that Richie was actually gay. Yeah. But, and and then at the end of the at the end when it ends when he he's he's carving uh, R plus E on the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and the, I mean, the opening sequence to the first movie with you know the, the gay couple getting killed, yeah. it's, it's in the book. And they chose yeah. to do that because it was, you know, impacting. That's what the director said. So I love the fact that they went full circle on that and made Eddie a gay character. Um, not gay, uh, Eddie, um, Richie, a gay character, because it kind of, I don't know, it kind of went from the point where it wasn't OK with the townspeople, but it was OK. It's yeah. an OK thing to feel this way, you know? Yeah, uh, I can't remember if it was the attack or if they found a body, but I read a story that, like, apparently in the town that the Derry's based on in Maine, there was a similar story to this. Yeah, I read something too. I wasn't, I couldn't find like the actual article or, you know, the crime that was, but I also heard that too. That was something that happened in that area or close to it where yeah. somebody was attacked in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Also love how uh, Stephen King cameos as the guy who sells Bill a bike back in chapter two. Oh, my God. When he said and, that the ending sucked. God, yeah. man. Also, I appreciate the fact of, of James McAvoy, like the, the way he portrayed Bill and the way he does his stutter as someone who stutters. He, he did it perfectly. And, and like he, he portrayed it really good. And especially like I, I can't even tell you how how uh, how much I can relate with the part with. He, where he's in the bike shop and he's stuttering and and then the owner's like spouting off like a uh, different thing and then he then he goes no the fucking bicycle uh, 
<laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've done that because it, it's so like infuriating like when you're talking to somebody and you start stuttering, but then they start trying to go ahead and, and throw out ideas of what you're trying to say, but it has nothing to do with what you're trying to say. And so yeah. like, I'll do that. Like I'll, I'll start stuttering and then to get out of it, I'll have to like, I'll have to like cuss real quick and get out of it. <laughs> but, but like, a, a, I read that the, uh, the actor who played Bill in the miniseries, he said it was the hardest thing ever to pretend to stutter. He said it was so hard to, to actually do. Yeah. When the part where he reads the, the message that comes from the typewriter, like yeah. that part, like, yeah. Cause I, I had a stutter, but what I do is I jumble my words. I think quicker than what I, when I talk. So when I was a yeah. kid, I had to do like speech therapy and I had like hooked on phonics and all this other stuff like that to help me slow down my speech. Yeah. So like when I saw him do that, when he has to repeat those things, that mantra, like it still insists, you know, he sees the ghost, that whole part. I remember having to say mantras, you know, yeah. to get better past that. And then when I had my jaw surgery, I had a lisp. I sound like, you know, Mike Tyson. So then I had to do speech therapy again to get rid of yeah. the lisp. And I'm just like, you know, I was just like, oh my God, you know, like it was, yeah, no, definitely. I don't know. Yeah, I, went through, uh, I went through speech therapy and everything. And I, for the most part, it's a lot better now. And over the years I've, I've gotten way better at it, but really bad like to the point that it was really hard i just hated talking uh it was weird though because like i wasn't born with it when i was a kid this woman used to babysit me while my mom was at work and she had a son who stuttered and i hung out with him and i copied him and no. I, I just couldn't I, I can't stop yeah it's just more like a psychological thing that's crazy yeah but like over the years though it's gotten a lot easier and stuff and, and like doing podcasts it helps and stuff but every now and then i'll, I'll get stuck with stuff but, but like when I, I every time i see it like especially the movies like Bill's always been the character i relate the most with just because like he, he he's one of them who like uh you can tell he he always wants to do the, the right thing mm -hmm. so like i've always related with that and the fact that he stuttered i'm i'm richie whenever i'm scared i i, I do stupid shit <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how many times I, I've gotten up in the middle of the night scared and make like loud ass noise or like sing something just like an idiot. Just so I wouldn't be scared to do something like when I was a kid. But yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely Richie. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm Mike then. <laughs> Mike, yeah. Yeah. I, I like diving into background of stuff. And yeah. um, I honestly think in a lot of ways I'm similar to Ben who you know he was always a big kid that was picked on which is kind of similar to me because i was a big kid that got picked on and then you know he there's times where you know when you fight back it's just finally like you just kind of had enough and you have to fight back and then as he got older he got in shape that's very similar to to what i did as i got older so i, I really felt like really drawn to ben and um both as a kid as well as the john Witter character yeah, I've always thought like besides it being a really good horror movie, like, this is a really good like coming of age story. Yeah, we, me and Jack were saying that the best part, the reason why we like this movie so much is that, you know how when you're a kid, you have all these like you have these friends, these childhood friends, these childhood memories. But as an yeah. adult, you start to forget those things. You forget you forget the faces, you forget the places, but you remember a feeling or a smell or obviously you get like deja vu. You remember instance, just a quick flashback, like how you have in the movie. And so at the end of the movie, when Mike starts to forget, it's kind of like how we all first start to forget as you get older. 
And yeah. it's just like one of those things where it's like, damn, you know, like he wrote that really well, Stephen King. No, I was going to say that when you're reading the book and Mike's starting to forget everything and he's saying like even the pages are starting to draw blanks because he, he was the one writing all the uh, notes. Um, and you as the reader, when you're finishing up the story, you're starting to forget some of the stuff. Because, you know, when you read a book, especially when it's something that long, you're yeah. not going to remember every detail. So then you started like like for me, when I was reading it, I started panicked. I was like, oh, my God, I'm starting to forget some of the stuff that happened in the beginning of the of the book. It's kind of like the power of it. it it's finally yeah. gone. So you're going to forget about the, the actual story. Oh, yeah, that was definitely a trigger. Like the minute he says, like, I'm forgetting to I'm forgetting the the things I'm writing and reading on this on these pages. And then I was like, oh, shit, like you stop <laughs> literally reading. And yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, my God. And it's a trigger. Then you're like, what the hell just happened? And then yeah. <laughs> in the movies, Richie's always been my favorite. His lines are hilarious. And then but Pennywise, he's just such a savage in the in the movies with some of his stuff. He says, like, my favorite thing ever is whenever they're in the house. And Bill's saying that it's not real. And he's like, oh, am I not real enough for you, Billy? It's not real enough for you? It was real enough for Georgie. Oh, my <laughs> God, the way you said oh, that. It's real enough for Georgie. He went there. <laughs> yep. So the house on Nebel Street, that actually is where they go. They don't go to the yeah. Barons or sewer things. So they actually do go to the house on yeah. Nebel Street. Yeah. Oh, so that's yeah, actually, yeah. And that's where the werewolf attack happens, too, is in the basement of that house. Yeah. Okay, so the, the movies were a little more accurate. Yeah. yeah, in that part, in that part, in that sense, yeah. Yeah, which I figure Stephen King had more to do than he I mean, he didn't have anything to do with the miniseries, so I'm sure he probably uh, had some kind of uh, consultation for the movies. Oh yeah, and the special features, he's he was invited and everything. Okay. Yeah, okay. so he was there. It was it was pretty cool. But um, no, one of my favorite parts where Richie says, this is why I'm Richie. So the part when they're eating in the new movie and um, Bill Hader's like, yeah, I had a date with your mom. And then he does that that whole Star Wars. Yeah. Like Jabba the Hutt. Tell me why I knew that was the voice he was going to do. <laughs> I knew already. I'm like, he's going to go Jabba. Also love in chapter two when they're getting ready to go back in the house and uh, one of them turns to Richie and is, and is like, Richie, this reminds me of something you said when we were kids. And he's like, good thing we're not measuring dicks. No. Like, <laughs> of, Let's of, kill that of, fucking clown. <laughs> he was so good in that movie. He was the highlight of that of the movies. Yeah, I, I mean, I literally went to go see it because, like, the minute, and that was my pick for Richie. Like, when I knew there was going to yeah. be a remake, like, before he even said it, I was like, dude, if they don't put Bill Hader in this role, because he's definitely the same person in the damn miniseries, it's going to be a missed opportunity, you know? And then the person I yeah. picked for Bev, she was perfect. The girl in the the one from uh, Mad Men, she yeah. was amazing, too. Yeah. yeah. What's weird though Just is that, like, yeah. Yeah, so, like, what's weird, though, about that is that uh, I, when it was, I remember everybody was praising the casting except for Bev. People were worried about who they portrayed as uh, who they casted as Bev. Yeah, I don't even know why they would have been so. I mean, because they wanted more from her character because she was very um, defiant a little bit yeah. in the book, too. Um, she, you know, like she smoked and she was basically she was, you know, mouths off to the ones that pick on her and things like that. So she's a little more vocal than the one in the miniseries. So they wanted to portray that, but they also wanted to portray that she was kind of like, you know, coming around to her sexuality, too, which she kind of does. You yeah. know, when she's like, I'm going to strip out and just jump. The kids are like, what the fuck? And she jumps in the water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think uh, the, the from the new movie, the only one that I kind of had a uh, little bit of issue was uh, Jaden Martell. 
if some parts like because Bill was portrayed differently in the in the book and more like a leader. And then for the movie, it, there was parts where he just kind of didn't connect with that part. Yeah, the child actor, unfortunately for me, for Bill, um, I didn't. I think they could have. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I think he's in another series that's like on Apple TV. Supposedly, it's pretty decent. But for this one, I felt like he didn't. He didn't have the monologue that made the Bill as a kid with Jonathan's monologue. It wasn't as impactful. Yeah. You know, like you. You know, like you're telling these kids to risk your life because you know they killed your brother and you want this revenge. And the way he says it. In, in the movie is so damn it hits you and then the other one i didn't feel that i didn't like the fight that that they made them fight too because they didn't fight they were yeah. always together and i didn't like that like separation either okay so the movies when bill punches richie that didn't happen no because that's the, that's how they left it open for bev to get kidnapped and that never happened though yeah so, bev doesn't get kidnapped in the book I mean, but it, yeah. it doesn't hurt the movie. You know what I mean? It doesn't hurt the yeah. story. It just it was a different telling, of course. But um, I just didn't like how they, they bridged the gap. The reason why he wasn't as strong is because they were so tight-knit. And I, I didn't yeah. like the fact that they made them fight. That was probably like my only really big gripe. I can forgive everything else in the second movie, even the really bad CGI spider that they had to do at the end and him when he died. Because yeah. I, I had a problem with that whole end scene. I mean, I'd rather even had the damn spider from the 90s movie if they're going to play him looking like a shriveled up small little baby crying. I thought it was funny the way they did that, the way they just kept calling him a clown and he just kept shrinking. Dude, in the special features, the way he had a stand, the way he had to sit and stand in order to get that shot with the like the yeah. half of the rock in his face and stuff, I felt so bad for uh, Skarsgård. Skarsgård also, that eye thing Pennywise does where his eyes go to one side. Uh, yeah. He's actually doing that. That's not an effect. He can actually do that. Yeah. yeah did you see the, the video where he showed Bill Hader? Because Bill Hader was saying like, oh, man, that was so creepy in the first movie, the special effect. And then he did yeah. it and, and Bill Hader jumps back. And then, you know, the drooling happened because he had a allergic reaction to the makeup. Yeah. But they, but they kept it because it looked menacing. Yeah. Pennywise just in the movies, he just looks so much more menacing. And in that in chapter two, that part with the little girl, God, I can't believe they did that too. That was terrifying where she was like, uh, he started counting down and then he stops and she goes, yeah, you're supposed to say one. And then, and then he just eats her. Yeah. yeah. I love the one with the boy and, uh, and, uh, fun house too behind the yeah. mirror. That was, that was one of my favorites too. Oh Yeah. Isn't that the same kid from chapter one, the one where Richie yells at him and then he's like, <laughs> he's like, dude, I'm a fan. He goes, oh, is that your parents? He's like, yeah, you still want a picture? I'm good, man. <laughs> he's like, how did you not know he was saying your stuff? He's like, I don't write my material. He's like, I fucking knew it, Eddie. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> I love, I mean, you guys can tell. I have watched that movie way too many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, I just recently just rewatched both chapters. But thank you guys for braving the miniseries. I feel like in order to respect the old and newer movies, you kind of have to see where they came from. Yeah. And all of it together, like I said, makes a very nice picture of what the book actually is. I wish they would just do an HBO series, though. God, don't even get me started on that. Like, if they did an HBO or a Showtime miniseries, holy hell. If Netflix could get a hold of this, I think they could do really good. I was hoping that I think Showtime did was a Showtime. I think that did the outsider and they had really good reviews on that one. And they did pretty good as far as like ratings. 
So I was really hoping they would do it. But then I heard the stand is on CBS All Access, I think it is. So I'm like, I'm not really sure who would go with it. But man, I I really wish they would do something like that. Or if they would do Salem's Lot better. I didn't like I didn't like either Salem's Lot. I didn't like the old one. I didn't like the remake. Didn't they talk about making the uh, the Bob Gray kind of thing where Pennywise kind of like origins of how Pennywise became the icon yeah. of America? Yeah, so the the director of the new movie said that he would like to go back and explore and hopefully bring in Stephen King as some sort of a mentor to branch out onto because they made him a person in the movie. They made him where he like he looked like he had no makeup on at one point where he was a person kind yeah. of like working yeah. in a comedy, carnival thing. So they gave him a backstory. So, so the way they could possibly the way they could possibly explain that is kind of like how uh, Henry Bowers was manipulated by it. Maybe um, this Bob Gray character was so manipulated by it that it became a part of him. I would think that'd be quite cool. Stephen King figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap this up here. Let's start with JR. What, what do you give this out of five? How many red balloons? red balloons? As I said previously, I felt this was really long, but this movie shot specifically like a TV show. If you actually yeah. cut it down, this film could really be eight episodes at 30 minutes each. And that's yeah. really how it should you know, have been done. And I take that into account because even though I was complaining about the length of the film being three hours, it's really not. Also, one of the things I love is looking at what type of restrictions they had, what you know, how far they could go considering it was on ABC. And those things are really important because based on those parameters on how they film, I, I take that a lot to account to what they did. I think they did a tremendous job. So for me, I give it a four out of five because I think the whole context of Stephen King's It, the whole, you know, Pennywise being a horrific character that he is, and then the character development of these, of every single actor on from child to adult, I think is, was pretty amazing. So I give it a four out of five. Red balloons. <laughs> four out of five. Okay. Uh, and now you, Maria? Um, I was going to give, like, so my view on it is just like what uh, JR was saying, like the restrictions on it. Um, I wish they would have done a little more storytelling as far as the ending. I think the ending could have been hit better as far as the spider was concerned. So they would have had a better rounded out movie. Um, so my initial response is to give it a four red balloons. But I'm giving it a 4.5 mainly because I feel like the kids in the story are probably some of the best child actors that you get, especially at this time period. Even now, I feel like just the depth that these characters had and their bonding, their fear, um, their sadness uh, is really what draws me back to this movie every time. So for those reasons, it goes up to a 4.5. Okay. And you, Jack? Uh, for me, this is one of those movies that um, kind of like Neverending Story and The Outsiders and all the, uh, the Goonies, all those movies that I saw as a kid that were kind of iconic for um, coming of age kind of thing. So for that, I'm going to be biased and just give it um, five, uh, five balloons. Ooh, a perfect score. Okay. I'll go based on what everyone else has been saying. Uh, I agree with everybody, and especially with Jack. This is just one of those iconic movies i'm gonna i'm gonna say four out of five okay yep. i also want all the red balloons now yeah i know <laughs> i want like how many is that it's like what 14 red balloons <laughs> <laughs> how do you get a half a balloon though i know uh, okay so it's it's four balloons and a and a yellow boat oh, okay okay, okay. 
<laughs> screaming skill. I always wanted to like go around town, like especially around Halloween, and tie red balloons to sewers. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so bad at my job. My my boss gave out everybody balloons for employee appreciation. Why did she give me two red balloons? Wow. That's how bad everybody knows me. It's not even funny. They know that I love this damn book and this damn character. Yeah. <laughs> I love that boat that you got recently, the Georgie boat. Yeah, I got to show you my other plaque that I have. I have the Pennywise Dancing Clown. It's kind of like a, a carnival plaque. It's like a really yeah. big a wooden hanging poster. But yes, I love I love Pennywise. He's my guy. He's torturous. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Stephen King's It, everyone. Thank you for listening. It's been quite a while. This is a little bit a little bit of a longer episode, but I mean you gotta have to you gotta pack all of that into one episode, so it was a lot, but it was fun. Uh I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Our next episode, JR will be leading us and telling us about one of his favorites, Halloween. So that'll be exciting. And we're talking about the original Halloween, not the remake or the Rob Zombie's Halloween. Halloween 3? <laughs> Don't start, Jack. <laughs> Troll. <laughs> Can you Give me triggers. We're going to leave on a good note. <laughs> Can you imagine us having to do Halloween 3 with JR? Can we please hey, actually, do that now? Of, Just uh, as, you, as you said that, um, the director of It is the same director of Halloween 3. Oh, wow. Tommy, uh, uh, Tommy Lee series? Lee yeah. Oh, wow. How many more days left to Halloween? 43 days left to Halloween. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. seriously going to hang up on you guys right now. <laughs> That's the best song, though. I'm going to have to put it in the ringtone. So you say Halloween 3 is like the worst. The resurrection takes the cake for the worst. Let's, <laughs> we need to get off so we can have dinner. Let's not get started yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, anyway, anyway, everybody, thank you for listening and join us uh, next time. And with that, we must bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Stay creepy. Bang. <laughs>